Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. Sitting here together. Once again, I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Kelly Turner, not a doctor. And Scott today is mm-hmm. going to tell us something. He's he's going to start a three-part series today. Ooh. He's not too excited looking. I just, I wish I had more time. I mean, I only had two weeks to put this together. And so I waited until the day before yesterday and kind of flung a bunch of stuff against the wall. And we're going to see what sticks. We know that's not true. Well, it's kind of true. It was the first weekend of football season, so I didn't really uh, Mm -hmm. spend as much time with my nose between the books Mm -hmm. uh, as I meant to yesterday. But you you have had two weeks to put it together. I know that. that. I said that already. Okay. I'm just, I just want to remind you, you you know, the football weekend. Well, that was the best excuse I had. I knew that's the one I was going to use because we're all football fans and I knew if I could get away with anything. Mm, it would I'm, be because it was football season. No, because okay. football season doesn't sneak up on us. So when planning. It snuck up on me a little bit. <laughs> I'm just yeah. messing with you. I know you're going to do a great job. You say you don't, you're not ready. You don't have this blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we. Well, there's going to be a lot of blah, blah, blah today because I'm just <laughs> filling in with gibberish. Oh, well, no, 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 no one will be okay. That. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. We'll see how it goes. So, uh, you guys are familiar with Good Pods, right? That's a, yes. that's a place where you can listen to podcasts online. Yes. So they reached out to us last week on uh, uh, Twitter or X or whatever the hell it is now and said, hey, if you'll put a, 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 a logo and a link to our uh, website on your website, we will feature you on our, uh, what is it called? Their, their team picks portion of their homepage. And so we did that last week. And I don't know how long we were featured on the team picks, but... Mm-hmm. Our logo was up there in a brief description, so uh, they we communicated back and forth on Twitter X, X mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. Squitter. I don't X, know. formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, I guess that's it, right? Yeah. So anyway, so remember, we were up for a little we, while. We did this with Prince. Yeah, okay, I remember I when the he artist, had that symbol? It was like an ampersand with Prince. something yeah. on it. So yeah. just it's that feel. Yeah. Again. Yeah. So anyway, so we made we made the Good Pods Team Picks page. Recently, this is all news to me. Oh, really? I'm, I'm super excited. I was keeping it quiet. Uh, one other thing that might be a surprise to you guys: there's a lady named Lindsay Culver Swinford. Anybody see her comment on our Facebook page last week? I did not. She loved the Yellow Creek episode. Oh, and reached out to let us know that she grew up. Let me make sure I get this right. Across the street, not from Dion Conkle, who killed Betty Wilson, but across the street from Jerry Wells. Oh, okay. Who was the man who was in the truck when Dion went inside the Yellow Creek Fish Camp? Okay. Mm. She said it was very sad what happened to the Wells family. She watched it from her porch across the street. They went from a very happy family uh, within just the space of a couple of years to they were fighting and uh, they didn't have heat in the wintertime because Jerry had sold all of the heaters in the house to fund his drug habit. Oh. And so that was probably. One of the reasons why they had stopped, of course, at, at the Yellow Creek Fish Camp. Um, <clears throat> Wells always said that he just thought they were going to rob the store. That was his, mm-hmm. that's what he said in court. You know, it's, and, and his behavior is very much consistent with that. Yeah. That, that he was under the impression that they were going to rob the store and that mm-hmm. they weren't going to hurt well, anybody. One, <clears throat> one thing that uh, Lindsay said that I thought was interesting, she said that, Jerry's wife had kicked him out of the house months before this happened at Yellow Creek Fish Camp, Mm -hmm. but they still went, they didn't know where else to go. They panicked maybe Mm -hmm. because they went to his house in the area, even though he hadn't lived there in several months. Mm. Okay. Just maybe didn't know where else to go. Yeah. Oops. Now we've done it. We've got to hide. Nobody will look for me at my 
ex-wife's house. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> she said it was just really sad. That, that is a sad. That, that she watched it happen. And she knew some of the, uh, the Wells had uh, a couple of nieces and nephews that they had, uh, they were kind of foster fostering mm-hmm. and they watched it and Ugh. they were, you know, physically abused. And as this started to happen and it was just a bad time. And, Oh, that's so... So some insight that so we didn't sad. know about yeah. because she noticed that we mentioned that we didn't really know a lot about Jerry Wells. And yeah. so yeah. she filled us in. She filled in that blank. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. That is a that is a sad predicament and it does show you when, when folks get to a desperate point mm-hmm. what they're yeah. willing to do. But I just, I'm not convinced that, that Jerry Wells was aware that that he that Conkle was going to walk in there and shoot her. Maybe so, not. I'm yeah. just not convinced. On a lighter note, Lindsay also said that she thought it was hilarious. Oh, when we were explaining to Katie how AOL CDs worked back in the nineties. <laughs> oh, I did see that. I did see. That. <laughs> Learn something that's new great. every day. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> that's. Uh, I don't know. That's all that I have by way of preliminaries. Okay. Well, I have one more, but I'm going to save right. it for next week. Okay. That's that fine good? too. Don't yeah. let me forget next week. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm shocked that you can keep a lid on it until next week. I know, right? If, if, <laughs> if only we were recording two today, I know I wouldn't have to sit on it for a it week. It would be much easier for uh, that you. Would be swell. Oh well, we'll make do. We will. All and, right. and today is a beautiful day in the studio. I know, and it's a beautiful day outside as well. Beautiful. I still don't have blondes. I noticed. That's okay. I'm. I'm. I'm good with that. Oh, and one last thing. Our uh, unpaid sponsor, Jake's on the Lake, is now closed for the winter. Yep. As you listen at home. Yep. So today is actually, we're recording on Sunday, and today Mm -hmm. is the last day. So when you hear this, Jake's will be closed until uh, Memorial Day 2024. Wow. Seems like a long way away. I'm already plugging them for next year. It sounds like a long way away. We got to get Jake to start paying for these. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Yeah. So uh, this week, um, we are, I know I'm ready for Scott to to get on with the story, but before we do that, uh-huh. we were talking before we started recording and I, I told Scott, I said, you know, you, you really should have been a history teacher. And I think we're going to see that even more this week with this topic. That I you're told you I'm not cover. dressing up. I know, I know. Did you have history teachers that dressed up in class? No, I just, did you not. know, there's always that scene in the movie. What is it? Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where one of the teachers comes in. And he's dressed in a colonial garb. They're doing the Revolutionary War. Some oh, movies, possibly, possibly. You know, I'm, that one. I'm not that gung ho about history. No, and I don't. And think, I'm cheap. I think any history teacher out there would tell you you don't have to go that yeah. far. Yeah, I, I never had one. No, nope. somewhere in between that and Sam Kennison in Back to School, where he's screaming <laughs> at Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> about the reasons for the Korean War. <laughs> right, right. So uh, I think we're going to get to see see that in action and, mm-hmm. and tell us what you think. Do you, do you guys out there think that Scott would make a fantastic oh, history teacher? Now I'm under the bus. I can see the axles spinning from where <laughs> I am right now. Okay, so you don't have to be a fan of mob movies or the mafia in general, uh, I, I don't think, to to enjoy and understand what we're going to talk about today. And we've all, we've, we all know what we think the mob is, the mafia is. We've seen uh, the TV shows, the movies, the Sopranos, right? The good, mm-hmm. uh, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. uh, the Godfather trilogy, on and on and on. Yes. We all think that we know what the mafia looks like, acts like, <laughs> where they're, what areas of crime they focus on. Mm-hmm. But the mob didn't always exist in America, right? I mean, it had to come from somewhere. Right. So that's what we're going to tell you about today. 
So there's a period of time before the mobs rise in the 30s. The mob exists in the 20s, and we'll get to exactly how that coalesced. But what you think of when you think of crime in the 20s and early 30s is you think of you think of John Dillinger, you think of Machine Gun Kelly. Yep. Um, and, and that really drew the, 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 the focus of law enforcement and really the public as a whole, because they were all the rage, right? Uh, this was the great depression was, we were in the middle of the great depression. The banks had closed. They'd kept everybody's money. They didn't loan any money out. And these people were stealing from banks. And so they were folk heroes to a lot of people in America, the mm-hmm. Dillingers and the Kellys and the Babyface Nelsons and the Bonnie and Clydes. We've talked about Bonnie and Clyde on this show. Al Capone figures in there. Um, mm-hmm. Those were the big stories. Those are what made the newspapers. They made the newsreels. And we're talking about a time with the Great Depression when uh, 25% of the country was out of, of work. 9,000 banks had closed. Wow. There was no money to be had in the country. It was a very poor time. And yet still these guys, these mafia guys, figured out a way to, to thrive and succeed and, and make a ton of money. Was this during Prohibition? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Prohibition went into effect in January of 1920. and that is why there is a mob. The worst mistake, I've told you guys before, the worst mistake this country ever made, except for Vietnam, was Mm. Prohibition. Mm. And Prohibition pretty much single-handedly inspired the rise of the mafia, as we know it. There were were these these disparate groups of semi-organized criminals in New York City in particular. They were called the, uh, the Five Points Gangs. There were five of these gangs. And it was when prohibition began in 1920 that they started to realize it took them, there was some growing pains, but they started to realize the best thing for them to do is to all work together. Mm, Yeah. They had to get organized this crime syndicate of theirs. So that's kind of where it started. There was already this, this group of adults. They were, they were Sicilian immigrants. They would come over to America. There's a couple of reasons why they came over. One of them was because in 1922, Benito Mussolini became the dictator of Italy and he started to shut down on the organized crime element there because they were making it hard for him to be a dictator. Yeah. They, they didn't like a dictator. Right. So he just started throwing them in jail. These, anybody he suspected of being a member of the Sicilian mafia, he just threw them in jail. So there, there, there was this mass exodus of these Sicilian mobsters across the Atlantic and particularly to New York. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was where this earlier group. So there was some sort of organization to the to the mafia when it got to America. When it got to America. So where does the term mob or mobster come from? Or are you going to get to that? I'm. You're right. Perfect timing. Oh, great. Perfect timing. Okay. So mafia, uh, Cosa Nostra, that translates to our thing. Okay. God, the Italian language is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even that. Yeah. It Even literally Scott means saying. our thing. <laughs> and it was beautiful. Man. Uh, and mafia, the word, it's, it's a Sicilian adjective that, that means basically translated, it can mean swagger or it can mean boldness, bravado. If it's said uh, with, a, with a effeminately, it means mm-hmm. beautiful. Okay. Mafioso. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or maf- is it mafiosa if it's... Right, I, right. With that, is that how that would so work? That'd yeah, be beautiful. Yeah, beauty. So in North America, the mafia refers when we say the mafia. I'm going to say the mafia when we're doing this, and that is short for the the mafioso. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, here. and that's yeah. and that's specifically it refers to the Sicilian, the Italian ma- mafia, the crime, organized crime. Gotcha. If we just said mob, mm-hmm. 
the mob. That could be any organized group of criminals. That could be Jewish gangsters in New York City. It could be the Irish mob in Boston. Mm-hmm. So, so, so just, mob, what is that word? It's just another word to indicate. It's it's one step down from mafia, perhaps. Oh, maybe. okay. So it's, All right. it's, it's, so it's, it's that not level of organization, but it's not specifically these guys. Yeah. Okay. Mafia is Sicilian slash Italian. So I just learned something new today. I yeah, know. I, I learned that just that. a few days I, ago. I thought mob, mafia, all that was interchangeable. It's not. Well, it is. A lot of people do it. You you hear the mafia members called mobsters. Yeah, but it's it's well, really not correct. If it's you're really talking not. About, technically, it's not. Correct. Yeah, but I guess okay. technically the mafia is a mob, but the mob doesn't always have to that be is a mafia. correct. Yes, yes, that is correct. That's wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. See. So the first published account of anything that had to do with a mafia in America actually happened in New Orleans. In 1869, and since we just mentioned college football, that was the year that the very first college football game was played. I learned that yesterday. Who played? Uh, Rutgers and Princeton, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds boring. Probably wasn't a, a game <laughs> yeah. recognized. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Sorry. It probably doesn't recognize the game as we understand it today, when, the way it was played in 1869. But yeah. Um, so... Even though this first story about the mafia in America was from New Orleans, New York City, Chicago, Boston, those are the areas where the, the, the big cities, where you, where you had uh, a little Italy, where you had these immigrant communities where these mm-hmm. guys could slide in and at least speak the language and mm-hmm. you know, get a job and get their feet under them. And that, that was where this happened. And that was the five points gang like I talked about. Little Italy, the east side of Manhattan. You guys ever stayed on the east side of Manhattan? I've actually spent a couple of days in a hotel there once. And it was not far from where we were staying. You could go down and they've turned it into something else now, but it was the old uh, meatpacking district, I guess, okay. or the warehouse district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you could still see- They, you know, they call it meat, the meatpacking. The, yeah, the meatpacking district. The, you know, just single, uh, single story brick buildings, long rows down both sides with loading ramps. And they've turned them into flower shops and restaurants now, but- mm-hmm. The structure's still there, and you can see what it looked like 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you've got this one organization, these Sicilians that have come over. Now you've got these kids who are growing up in the early 1900s in these areas. And they're, I don't want to say second-generation Sicilians, because a lot of them came over when they were babies. Mm -hmm. So technically, they're Sicilian-Americans. But they they grow up in America. They speak English. They consider themselves to be Americans. Okay. Uh, and I'm about to rattle off some names that anybody who's ever watched any organized crime shows or mob movies, you're going to, you're going to recognize some of these names. Okay. Al Capone. Oh, yep. Charles Luciano. Yes. Vito Genovese. Yes. Benjamin Siegel. Not familiar with that Bugsy one. Siegel. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Meyer Lansky. Don't know that no, one. No, he was, he was the, he was the financial genius. He was behind the scenes a lot more than okay. the other guys. All right. And uh, one more, Frank Costello. Yes. Okay. So those are six names that you're going to hear a lot over the next three episodes. Did they all have a nickname or did they just go? Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Okay. As, as I introduced them to you, if they had a nickname, I'm going to tell you how they got Okay. It. Okay. Yes. I love that. Okay. So we're going to, you're going to hear a lot about those guys, but we're not going to drown you with proper nouns. We promise yeah. because we we're we're one one level true crime. Here. Sure. We sure. don't want to get too far into this. Okay. So just those six names and we're going to, we're going to walk them through this story. Okay. They're going to be the eyes and ears that we use to, drop in to different places in this story and see it through their eyes. And they are all Sicilian. Um, no, they're not. I, <clears throat> Luciano is Sicilian. Genovese, Siegel. Lansky is Jewish. Okay. Costello, I think, is uh, 
I'm not sure about Costello and Capone. Mm-hmm. Mm, I should okay, know. Okay, so should different. Know. Okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, all right. I'm Either Sicilian or Italian. Okay. But they, they just grew up in this life of crime and worked their way, all of them up at various levels and at various times up to become the. The boss. The boss. Mm-hmm. Or near to the boss. Okay. You know, the conciliary or the, uh, the financial guy. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Okay. So we're going to establish what these six guys did. We're going to tell you the story through their eyes, like I said. <clears throat> and like I said, they all had success at certain levels uh, in their lives of crime, at least for some amount of time. Okay. Nobody gets out of this alive, right? Of course not. None of us no. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as, as the story progresses, as we tell the story, we're also going to weave in if there's a significant moment in American history that corresponds to when some of this happens or maybe it was the cause of it or the, the consequence of it, we're going to, we're going to weave that into and tell you a little bit about those events. Okay. Prohibition being one of them, for sure. example. Okay. Right. And like we said earlier, that, uh, that was January of, uh, 1920 when prohibition went into effect in this country. The, the 18th amendment had been ratified in 1919 to go into effect in January of 1920. Oh, and one other item about prohibition. I mentioned this to Shane yesterday, Katie. Um, Katie and I and Shane and a few other folks, are, we're going to Savannah in a few weeks. There is a prohibition museum oh, yeah. in Savannah that I did not know about. So at some point while we're in Savannah celebrating Katie's second 29th birthday, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to find a way to legally stop drinking for long enough to find out how they used to do it illegally back in the old days. So I'm going to check out the museum. You can take to-go cups in Savannah, so you may could just bring it on. Oh, then never mind. I can skip the first part of that plan. Yeah. Oh, that'll be awesome. I'm, I'm going to bring bail money on that trip just in case. Oh, man. If you guys do one of those tours where you literally bike around the city and drink at the same time, I must have video footage of this. Oh, it's been a long time since I've pedaled a bicycle. <laughs> you've seen those? Where they say like once a, you've done it, It's you... like a traveling bar and you're all oh, pedaling yeah, it. That you're one. Oh, around. you can't turn yeah. that one over. <laughs> well, it, it's hard to turn that one yeah, over. I I would ha- yeah, I bet yeah. find a way. At the beach, they have those that, that are floating... Um, Bars. That sounds like a horrible idea. You can, that you sounds can like a lot of work. You can rent a round bar. Oh, yes, the little tiki yeah. cruises. Yes, I've tiki been on one. Yeah. I made the can... fatal mistake one time in my life. You know the the the, the two-seater pedal thing in the water that's got the huge, big, round Those wheel in front? Wheels, yes. That looks like it would really just cut into the water and scoot you right on across. No, you just bounce. You're just sitting there paddling your ass off, and you're not making any progress. And if there's a... If there's, any kind of uh, rip current or anything, yeah. you're you're in trouble. You're a goner. Yeah. Speaking of Havana, you try that in the Gulf of Mexico, you may end up in Havana. <laughs> yes. And we're going to yes. talk about Havana today. Okay. Um, so it was the outlawing of the legal sale of alcohol was the first big event that created these outlaws that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because the entire country did not stop drinking overnight just because it became illegal overnight. No, and people were mad about this. Mad. Upset. Yeah. Wanted to show the government very we'll, angry. We'll work around your restrictions. What? It's very, it's very anti-American. What led to prohibition? prohibition? Are you going? To- um, I, I didn't really have a thing about prohibition, but we can look into it. I mean, it was the the temperance movement had been around in in this country for what a generation before that. Susan B. Anthony and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Molly Hatchett was she another one of the uh, uh, prohibitionists or uh, <clears throat> the temperist? It just sounds Society wild. Members, like they I just thought the place, the country would be a better place. Yeah. Uh, there wouldn't be any more, wives wouldn't get abused by their drunk husbands. Mm. There wouldn't, there wouldn't be as much absenteeism at work because you got hung over the night before. They just thought it would make the country a better place. Mm. 
And nobody considered the possibility that it would make the country a much worse place. Yeah. And then it took them 13 years to fix it. That's how long Prohibition was in effect. That sounds 1920 about, until 1933. That sounds about right how long it takes our government to mm-hmm. do something. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Or to undo something. Or to undo something yeah. that they should have never done to begin with. And so the profits that could be made from selling and distributing this alcohol obviously was worth the risk of punishment by the government. So criminal gangs and a few, uh, more than a few, really, uh, crooked politicians saw the opportunity, and, and crooked law enforcement mm-hmm. as well, saw the opportunity to make fortunes. They began shipping alcohol to these, uh, to different cities around the country. Alcohol was imported from Canada, the Caribbean, and out in the Midwest, they built distilleries to make beer and ship into the big cities. Um, and another so drive- just out in the middle of nowhere. Well. Yeah, just, you know, out in the country where the corn is. Yeah. I guess they were making whiskey as well. Yeah. And beer. Sure. Yeah. Um, And we already talked about, I got ahead of myself earlier. I'm looking at my notes. I already told you guys about Benito Mussolini taking over in Italy in 1922. So a lot of these immigrants who are the the leaders of this batch of gangsters, when our guys come along, Mm -hmm. Luciano and Genovese, um, they were, like I said, Sicilian mafia. They was on the run from Il Duce. They were, escaping political persecution. And then they come here and they're like, you can't have alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. Yeah, you just escaped a deadly like, dictator and now you can't even a have dictator. a beer and celebrate. Yeah, what the heck? I know. So the mafia now relocated to the East Coast for the most part. They took this prohibition thing and they began selling illegal alcohol. The profits from the bootlegging far exceeded the traditional crimes that the mafia had been involved in before prohibition. Things like uh, protection for businesses, Mm-hmm. extortion, gambling, prostitution. Prostitution alone allowed the mafia to make a fortune before the alcohol situation. Oh, wow. Those protection mm-hmm. things that they would do, I said do those in quotes, yeah, protection. Quotes. Right. It, it's very, very similar to your insurance company now. Yeah, in a lot wow. of ways. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have friends in the insurance business. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not Sorry. <laughs> So, like I said earlier, we've got these, there's eventually going to be five of these crime families that they coalesce around these five leaders, these five leadership structures in New York City. And they're not really families. It's just a term. They're, they're unrelated uh, genetically. They're just related because they're all involved in the same business. Okay. So this new industry, and that's what it is. It's basically an industry at this point. Uh, it's it's this criminal enterprise. It requires a lot of employees. Mm-hmm. You've got to have bosses and gophers and lawyers and truckers. And you've even got to have guys that go out and enforce your rules and, and mm-hmm. you know uh, make sure that people pay you back if they've borrowed money from you or mm-hmm. don't make it home if they've done something they shouldn't have, like go to the police mm. or rat out one of their buddies that did something that made them angry. You also must have some police. Oh yeah, sure. There's got to be some crooked cops mm-hmm. involved in this. It, it's that's one thing that the judges, the mafia finds yeah. out. It's not that hard to keep their guys on the street mm-hmm. because there's so much money in their pockets that they can afford to, uh, to bribe mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement, police captains, judges, mm-hmm. Uh, district attorney's offices, just like you said. Yeah, it's not that hard for them to do. And speaking of all those people who are now working for this criminal element, I mean, don't forget it's the Great Depression, so you there aren't jobs. No, people, you got are, a family oh, to people are poor and they're starving. You're a lot less inclined to get involved in political activity if it wasn't the Great Depression. 
Mm-hmm. But when that, when your objects or your uh, options are limited. Mm-hmm. Godfather two does such a great job of showing that of how yeah. they get children or, you know, teenagers are involved mm-hmm. in, you know, in their neighborhoods. Yeah. I went back and watched the first, I watched the Godfather and the Godfather part two, uh, in the last week. Um, which is why my notes aren't more thorough because I spent all my time watching movies that actually didn't <laughs> benefit me at all as far as getting the story moving along. But yeah, I hadn't seen those in a long time and it was good to see them again. Mm-hmm. I've got to watch Goodfellas before we do part three. Oh gosh. I haven't seen it in a while. Katie, have you ever seen Goodfellas? No. Oh boy. What? Have you seen the Godfather? Any of them? No. Oh. All right, let's take five. I'm going to need to oh gather my, my thoughts. I was, I was waiting on, I was like, maybe they won't ask. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a great spot to insert our commercials while we, uh, while take we a, while gather we take our a, thoughts back take together. Take a moment. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I've also never seen The Sopranos. <laughs> okay. That was uh, back. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> after Scott runs through this brick wall. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake. Swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. Take a day's long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are, and if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Weiss Lake home or recreational lot? Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Weiss Lake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All-Star Property Rome, you can also visit at All Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Weiss Lake dreams a reality. Thank you to all our sponsors. Uh... Okay, Scott, let's let's collect ourselves and get going here. <sighs> I'll never be the same after that. <laughs> never be the same. I know. Katie's laughing. She's just <laughs> laughing so hard that you can't hear her. She's in silent I'm, laughter. Yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving along. So, perhaps predictably, it wasn't very long before these various gangs, these organized crime uh, organizations, that sounds redundant, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, got to infighting with each other. There were there was plenty to go around mm-hmm. with this illegal bootlegging, but they still started to fight with each other. And so, in 1930, there was a very famous war between two competing factions of the Italian Sicilian mob in New York City, and it was called. And I'd never heard of it. It was called the 
Castellamarese War. Oh, wow. And Castellamarese refers to a, a city in Sicily, a town in Sicily, where one of the two mafia bosses, one of the two bosses of these two crime families that are going head to head, one of them is from there. Okay. From um, Castellamarese. Okay. Is the name of the city. And so the Castellamarese War okay. is indicated that this guy is from there. All right. <clears throat> so that happens in 1930 and 31. Again, it's the height of the, uh, of the Depression. Thousands of banks have already failed, a quarter of the population out of a job. And this war takes place in New York City. The killings are in the newspapers. Mm. Mobsters, hitmen, message runners are dying in the streets. Sometimes innocent bystanders getting caught in the crossfire. It's no. a big deal. In Chicago, this is in New York City, right? Right. The Castellamarese War. But in Chicago, Al Capone had this, the same problems that he's experiencing, that his friends in New York are experiencing. Other mobsters trying to move in and take over his operation. In Chicago, it's the Irish mobsters. And to some extent, it is in New York City as well. Okay. You guys ever heard of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Yes. yes. Okay, so that happened on February the 14th, 1929 in Chicago. And this really brought down the heat on Al Capone. This is the beginning of the end for Al Capone. And this was at a gas station or a... or a. It was at a warehouse. A warehouse? The, yeah, the way that I read the story, and I've read okay. two or three different versions of it, Al Capone decides that he's going to put an end to this Irish gang that's giving him problems. And so he, has, he hires four hitmen to go over. Okay. Two of them are dressed as police officers. So the police officers go in first, and there's seven guys inside of this warehouse. They think it's a raid. Not so uncommon. Sometimes right. the cops showed up. You had to deal with this. We got to go down to this precinct and, you know, uh, get our pictures taken and have our fingerprints blotted. And then we're out of there in a couple of hours. They mm -hmm. think, oh, we just got to go through this again. So the cops line them up against the wall, tell them to turn around, put their hands on the wall. And then the other two guys come in and they mow them down. Seven, oh seven dead guys. Ooh. And it's, it's a big deal. It's on at that it's, point. Yeah. The, the cops in Chicago were like, we have got to start to try to do something about this Al Capone guy. And so and that's the, when and the Irish are, are really mad now. Well, the Irish are gone was, now. Oh, that was, oh, yeah, that, that oh. was enough, all they had. You know, I don't know if it was all of them, but it was enough to, uh, to, to you know, at some point you say, I give up, take care of them. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't want to get any more of my guys killed. You take this part of town. I'll leave you alone. We'll, we'll stay out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that massacre is the beginning of the end for Al Capone. <clears throat> After that, Elliot Ness is the lawman who comes into the city and he's going to, the movie with uh, uh, Kevin Costner Foster. and Sean Connery from the late 80s, early 90s called The Untouchables. Yes. Is about Elliot Ness and his fight mm -hmm. uh, to try and get Capone. And I think, doesn't De Niro play Capone in The Untouchables? I think so. I got to watch that too. That's on my list. Yep. I need to see that. I should have watched it already. Just don't ask Katie if she's seen it. Uh, Just don't. I'm don't. not even going to look at Katie okay, right yeah, now. Don't, don't. <laughs> look away. Look away. <laughs> um, so it takes two years, but Ness and the Internal Revenue Service finally gets Al Capone. Remember, the FBI still doesn't really have a lot. They can't. They can't do anything. They yeah. get him for tax evasion. They get him for tax right? evasion. Okay. Yeah, the the Internal Revenue Service spends months going over everything that they can find in all of his businesses. And they finally found, found something that tied him to a bunch of money that he obviously never paid taxes on. Okay. And so they got him and he, they got him for 11 years. 
Ooh. for tax evasion. At the time, it was the most ser- severe sentence for tax evasion in the history of the United States of America. Isn't that what Todd Chrisley just got? Yeah, pretty much. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize he was, that was similar to Al Capone. 11 years. And so Capone spends, uh, he goes into prison in 1931, ends up spending most of his time at Alcatraz. Ooh, and if you want to hear yeah. us tell a story yeah. about Alcatraz, you can go back earlier this season to yep. episodes 25 and 26. And we will tell you exactly what you have to do if you want to escape from Alcatraz. Too bad Capone didn't listen to our episode because he did not ever escape. Had he tried to escape somewhere else? Is that why he got sent there or he just got sent there? A lot of guys, that's a good question because a lot of people got sent to Alcatraz because they tried to escape from another prison. You would learn this in the episode. Yeah, exactly. But Capone, when he first went to prison, he went to the prison in Atlanta and it wasn't long before he was pretty much running the show in Atlanta. He had his own private cell with furniture that he'd had shipped from home. (laughs) He had a phone installed in his cell. Who the heck is this warden? He, some guy who was willing to be bought off by Al Capone. Okay. And when word of this got to... What year are we in? That's 31. So everybody's still poor and starving. Yeah, yeah. Middle and of the money, depression. money is really talk. Money talks, but it's yeah. really talking. Really talking. And the warden's like... But oh, sooner yeah. or later, word gets out that Capone thinks he's... And he's still running his criminal enterprises, right? From this office that he's built in the, in the prison <laughs> he just in has an Atlanta. office from yeah. Atlanta jail. And so he ends up in Alcatraz. And we've heard the stories and talked about and read about him. Once he got to Alcatraz, they treated him just like everybody else there. Yes. He got no special privileges... He was a janitor during the day and, you know, had to do the 11. Yeah, because this was a different warden. Yeah. 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 The, the, what's the, what was the saying? When you break the law, you go to prison. When you break the law in prison, you go, go to, to Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah. So that's where he ended up. So just about the time Capone is looking at this decade in prison for his actions in Chicago. Now we're back in New York City again. The Castella Marese War has. Worn down, uh, it's wound down Okay. in April of 31 when one of the two mafia heads was murdered by the other group. And oh, that's the wow. end of the Castella Marese War. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, the other boss, the one who didn't get killed. Who is, who is the other boss? Uh, Salvatore Maranzano. Okay. But we're, he's not one of the guys that we're going to talk about. Okay. Not much, so, okay. not much. All right, yeah. Um, but he decides that he is going to organize the crime. So this is the first, this is the foundation being laid for what we know today as the mafia in New York City, in America. So he's thinking, we're not going to do this war thing again. We're not going to fight anymore. There's plenty of money to go around. Let's we're all work together. It. Let's all make some money. We're going to get organized. We're going to have this structure of leadership and I'm going to be at the top of it. I'm going to be the mm-hmm. capa de tutti capi, the godfather, the boss of all bosses. Okay. Okay. If you that, say so. That meant, that's what Salvatore... Maranzano said, Mm -hmm. and that meant that every organized criminal had to pay tribute money to him. Okay. And the only reason that we're going to mention Salvatore Maranzano's name, the only reason I was going to mention it was because it's just to remind the listeners that we're dealing with Sicilians and Italians when we're talking about this. And they came out on top in this Mm Castella Marese war. Okay. Uh, Because otherwise I wouldn't mention his name because Godfather number one is not going to be with us for very long. Do you guys want to guess about how long Salvatore Maranzano lasts as Godfather? All right. Let me see. Go. Uh, Price is right situation. Six months. Two years. Okay. It's less than six months. Oh, my God. So you win. Okay. I won. Uh, Who killed him? 
we're uh, oh you're yeah. getting to yeah I'm building up yep uh, all right be quiet yeah. I will be quiet no no I don't want you to be quiet I want you to ask questions okay because I'm right. about to tell you who killed him okay <clears throat> he was murdered by Charles Luciano oh yeah <laughs> I didn't expect for you to just like be your next sentence <laughs> it, was the, it was the next sentence in my notes I didn't know it was either until I got there because <laughs> I'm Oh, this is going to be a story. It's going to be—he's going to build, and then he's going to pow hit me with the name. Well, I'm—I'm building—I'm build—I'm not building the name. I'm building up the story itself. The story is Luciano murders. So now is he the Godfather? It was Charlie. Well, Charlie says, "Look, I like everything that Maranzano had to say, except for the part about him wanting to be the boss of all bosses, the capo di tutti capi." Okay, don't like. We're not doing that part. Okay. What we're going to have instead is we're going to have a, a board of directors. Oh. They called it the commission. All of the major crime families would have representation on this commission. Every major decision would be made by the commission voting. Okay. Even matters of life and death. I mean, anything to do with the business or if, if somebody crossed somebody else in one of the other families, that you couldn't just go kill him like you could back in the old days. Now the commission has to approve it before you do anything. Okay. All right. And it's going to hopefully, uh, and it does for a long time, it creates peace amongst the gangsters okay. in New York City. As much as you can have gangster peace in New York City, I guess, right? I mean, it sounds like a legitimate business yeah. at this point. They're trying. I mean, because the way that it's organized, I guess, is what yeah. I should say. I know it's not a well, legitimate business. These are smart business, guys. But, these are smart yeah. guys who these just are, decided to be criminals. These aren't, these aren't the idiots right. that, that Bonnie and Clyde were. Or yeah. maybe John yeah. Dillinger, who were just running around by the seat of their pants, going wherever the wind blows them. Oh, there's a bank. Let's rob it. Yeah. These guys are organized. Mm-hmm. So, and yet, so one thing that hopefully this will stop from happening is there won't be, now you'll sit around a table and discuss disputes. There won't be any more uh, uh, discussing things in dark alleys with a, with a Tommy gun. Or a right. length of piano wire and, and, and risk law enforcement getting involved. And risk hurting other folks in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure that was a concern. They were oh, mostly they concerned care. with money, but yeah. Okay. If it gets the law involved, yeah, in a sense, you're right because you kill an innocent bystander, and then the law has to do something. Yeah, it's, it's they spotlight. have to get involved. Yeah. I can pay them off to not look over here at my prostitutes. Yeah. But I, I'm going to have a harder time paying them off to not look at my dead bodies over here. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, and there are some. Um, so there are some hiccups along the way. Nothing works perfectly, right? Right. Uh, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy, so to speak. But for the most part, the commission operated successfully for decades. The peak, uh, at the peak in the mob mafia activity in America, 26 states had an organized crime element that was represented on this commission. Hmm. Was Alabama one of them? Alabama is in there somewhere. What? Yeah, I'm getting to that. That's in part two. There's a, there, yeah. Wow. Uh huh. So each crime family had its own territory, operated independently, nationwide, overseen by the commission. The bosses of these families are the representatives on the commission. Mm-hmm. Chicago, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Los Angeles, all represented. And, and they, this is. They come to New York to meet. That they meet in various places. Oh, they they move they, around. They might, yeah. They, they they move it around. Okay. Remember, they're criminals. They're they can't just 
have a the Legion ring. of Doom that everybody like, with a big <laughs> sign up that says Legion of Doom, do not enter. That's right. You know, right. The commission, yeah. the, the mob commission meets yeah. here. And so one of the, one of the things I need to mention this to you, one of the things that is always a part of this organized crime effort, this structure is the, the code of silence, the Omerta, no matter what you don't, that's going to be one of the reasons why a lot of these killings among mob members happened was because somebody violated Omerta. They, they, they rolled over on somebody, gave somebody to the cops. Nobody likes a rat. Nobody likes a rat. Mm. And so one distinct advantage of this structure and the power that it provided, without the Godfather, of course, and Maranzano found out what a bad idea that was, remember? Um, the advantage was that even after the 18th Amendment was repealed and re-legalized, is that a word? Uh, sure. It is today. Sure. I've just christened it a word. There you go. That was in 1933, uh, and so the mafia was able to continue to prosper. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had used all of their bootlegging money to take advantage of other areas of revenue for money. Because they'd spent so much, or they'd made so much money bootlegging that they could afford to try other things. So now we're talking about uh, illegal gambling, yep, loan sharking, extortion, drug trafficking, fencing, and racketeering through the labor unions. Okay, you know it's the old saying: you've got to spend money to make money, right? And so they were spending money in these new areas to make money. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I. I I didn't know what racketeering meant exactly, so I looked it up. Uh, and if you don't either, don't feel bad. Uh, it's it's to set up a business that looks legitimate, but is in some way fraudulent. That's racketeering. It's to use a business to steal. So these businesses would launder money, or do they do do they do that? Yeah, I mean, or it would be uh, uh, it would it would look like an antique shop, mm-hmm. but in the back there would be a bingo game. Or a or a or, oh, okay. or a numbers gotcha. racket or prostitution or whatever card game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So that's that's so one form of racket. So they don't necessarily have to be money laundering. Correct. To, okay. Yeah. Or maybe it's a it's a furniture delivery business that really half the boxes in the every truck is liquor mm-hmm. headed to or like, speakeasy. Uh, Tony Soprano and his sanitation. Yeah. The garbage. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. later on in in the uh, in the growth of the mafia where they are able to get into some of these legitimate businesses, construction, uh, uh, sanitation, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's all, all those things that you see in movies and TV based on fact, that's the way that Mm -hmm. most of those stories came from a fact somewhere in the past. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So speaking of the labor unions with the control of the labor unions, the mafia could get its hands on these legitimate businesses, construction, demolition, waste management, like you just talked about, uh, importing and exporting from the docks in New York city. And a bunch of those labor unions were beginning to have health funds and pension funds, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases, millions of dollars, just sitting there waiting for someone to steal it or to skim some of it off the top or to loan it out to John Q. Public at 20% interest. Because remember, it's the Great Depression. John Q. Public can't get a loan. To send his kid to college. No, banks are doing Or to nothing. put a new roof on his house. Right, right. Or to pay his rent. But they'll be happy to give you one at a very high yeah. interest rate. It's about 20%. Whoa. Yeah. So that's what the people out in mom and dad, Joe America had to do. It was, they had to borrow money from Lucky Luciano and Meyer Lansky and hope they could pay it off in time 
lest they end up with their kneecaps broken or their boots filled with concrete Ooh. by somebody named Freddie No Nose or Jimmy Two Times. Maybe those guys hadn't come along yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's more of a Hollywood thing than Probably. a real thing. Probably. You guys remember? I don't know. You guys remember Jimmy Two Times from Goodfellas? Yes. Because he said everything two times. Two times. I got to get the papers. Get the papers. Yes. It was yes. his only line in the whole movie. He nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> never saw that actor before. I've never seen him again. May have been the real guy. Maybe he's in the witness ah, protection program. Maybe. <clears throat> All right. So we spoke of the uh, labor unions earlier. And to answer the question, we'll just answer it now. I know it's on everybody's mind. Yes, we are going to talk about Jimmy Hoffa eventually. Okay. The most famous missing person in the history of crime does figure into this story, but that's not until the 60s. Okay. So we'll get to that in part two. All right. Well, I know who that is. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> One in a row. Mm-hmm. They do have a movie based on him, but we're not going to go there, Katie. Yeah. <gasps> I've seen that movie. What? Yay! What's that, what's that movie called? Hoffa. <laughs> called yeah. Hoffa. I, that's how I know who he yeah. is. I've seen that movie. Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's uh, that's Nicholson, right? Is it? I don't know. I forget. I, I've seen it. Who Nicholson, it? De Niro, Pesci, they're all in yeah. it. Mm. I think it's Scorsese. Uh, that was a Netflix thing, right? Yeah. Am I thinking about the right one? Or was that no, the, that was the Irishman. Mm-hmm. The Irishman's what you're talking yeah, about. Oh, about yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. I'll yeah, Hoffa's find good out. too, though. I think, I think Nicholson plays Hoffa in that movie, which is probably about, what, 15, 20 years old? I don't know why I've seen it, but I have. Yeah. It's a good movie. All right. All right. Here we go. Yes, oh, it go. is Nicholson. It's 1992. Okay. Wow, 30 years. Yeah. So, Danny DeVito is also in it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. But anyway, like I said, we're going to talk about Hoffa, but we'll get to that later. So, Meyer Lansky, we mentioned him. He's one of those names that are, that's on our list. We haven't really talked about him. Kelly said uh, she had heard of him, but Katie, you had not. He was the, he was the Jewish member of this gang. He was, he was the financial genius. He was the guy, I, I read one description of Meyer Lansky who said if he had been a legitimate businessman or in politics, he would have been in charge of the Pentagon. Mm. Or you could have sent him to the Middle East and he could have straightened out all of that turmoil over there. Mm-hmm. He was that, that kind smart. of guy. Smooth, smart. Just hate that he smartest used guy it for organized crime. Yeah. So like I said, he's the, he's the brains. He makes... Uh, he makes some moves in the 30s. He gets into, he goes down to Havana. We mentioned Havana a few minutes ago. He decides, realizes really, that there's a legitimate business opportunity. Gambling is legal in Cuba. Or it will be over the course of time. I'm not sure if it is yet when Meyer gets there in the 30s. But he befriends the guy who is the leader of uh, Cuba, uh, Fulgencio Batista. He's been, he, he comes into power in 52, but he's been in, He's been influential in politics in Cuba before that, right? Okay. So eventually, at one point, he legalizes gambling in Cuba, so the mafia doesn't even have to sneak around and hide. And they get to do that until Fidel Castro takes over in Cuba in 1960, but we'll get to that next week. Okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Las Vegas was an open city, as far as the mafia was concerned. Any family was free to do whatever they wanted in Vegas. You didn't have to check with the guys in New York if you were with the Chicago outfit to see if you could open a casino or, or start running liquor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas was wide open. You could go and do what you wanted. 
and it been it had been a popular gambling area since the 40s, right? I mean, the mafia had families from New York, Cleveland, Kansas City, Milwaukee, and certainly Chicago interested in the Vegas casinos by this time. By the 50s. Started in the 40s. So the families, the the crime families, the organized crime units, they got the money to build Las Vegas from these pension funds, from the Teamsters unions. That's how Vegas got built. And that's, that's terrible. They, mm-hmm. they, they would hire legitimate front men to run the casino. Mm-hmm. The, the mob, the mafia would own it, but they would hire somebody because you've, the first thing that you've got to do, Kelly Turner, if you're going to run a casino is you've got to be able to get a license to run that casino from the Nevada gaming commission. Mm. And if you're a criminal, or you're, if your arrest record is as long as my arm, Mm-hmm. You're not going to get one. Nope. So they've got to hire somebody legitimate. The movie Casino starring Robert De Niro. Yes. He plays a character named Sam Rothstein in the film. And that character is based on real life casino operator, Frank Rosenthal. He was an expert gambler. Uh, he ran several casinos in Las Vegas for the mob back in the sixties uh, and seventies. Uh, the, the Stardust, uh, I've been in the Stardust years ago before they demolished it to build, I forget what, in its place. Uh, the Fremont Hotel, the Hacienda Hotel, the Riviera Hotel, all those are gone now. But they were all those, that first batch of casinos on what was the first strip in the 40s and 50s and 60s that helped Vegas become what it is today. Mm. Is that like Old Town now? The Old Town area? That's, that's Fremont Street. You're talking about mm-hmm. the old original. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you're talking about. Well, it's, no? it's, it, oh. yes and no. There was, okay. there was gambling on Fremont Street then too, but when, when Bugsy Siegel built the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in 1947, he built it on what is now known as the Strip. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I forget. I should have looked to see what hotel is sitting today where the Flamingo was when it was built, but I didn't. Um, well, our, our listeners can Google yeah, that. Yeah, you Google Quick that and Google. let us know. Yep. And, and we're, we're going to talk more about Casino, the, the film. And, 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 you know, we've mentioned Goodfellas. A Bronx Tale is another really good mm-hmm. uh, mafia film. Uh, any of those would be terrific if you want to watch them, if you would like to see them. Uh, now, in these mafia-owned casinos, when money came in from the gaming floor into the counting room, the mafia had their guys in there skimming money off the top. Because you had to pay taxes mm-hmm. on your income from your winnings. So they would, the mob would take, the mafia guys would take a bunch of that profit out. So you're only paying taxes on... Paying taxes on the rest and you've got that cash in your pocket that's yeah. never reported. That's, where the, that's how the mob, the mafia makes money, made money in these casinos. You guys want to hear how... Uh, Lucky Luciano helped America win World War II? Sure. I didn't think that's where this was going. (laughs) I know, right? But that's what I'm about to tell you. All right. That was our original commercial break until Katie (laughs) dropped that John Mulaney one-liner that had us cracking up, (laughs) and we we had to take it early. So that was going to be the break. Dang. We're far in. Yeah. For a commercial break. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, we don't have much left. Yeah, that was a little late for a commercial break, so I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. (laughs) So Lucky, who got his name because during the Castellama Race War, somebody took a shot at him and he survived. 
Oh, it, oh, okay. it hit him or it missed him? Yeah, it, it hit him. Okay. Yeah, he was laid up for weeks. Oh. Near, at one point near death, but he survived. And that's how Charles Luciano got the nickname Lucky. And it's just fortuitous that his last name starts with an L too. So How handy. Rolls off the tongue. Well, there. I guess if he had died, they could have called him Loser Luciano. <laughs> it still worked. But yeah, he survived. And it just called him dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he'd been a, com- he'd been a commission member for a decade when World War II finally came to American shores on December the 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, in a couple of months in February of 1942, the, the Naval intelligence reaches out to the mob, the mafia and says, Hey, look, we're worried about sabotage at the, at the docks down at the ports. Can you help us out? And they say, you know, we're criminals, but we're still patriots. So sure, we'll help you out. We'll make sure there's no sabotage on the docks in New York City. And the reason that that was on the mind of naval intelligence was because on February the 9th, 1942, the SS Normandy, which at the time was the fastest ship in the world, it held the record for Atlantic, the shortest time for an Atlantic crossing. Mm Mm-hmm. It was in New York Harbor being converted into a troop ship or a transport ship to take troops and military materials to the European theater of war. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, it caught on fire and sunk. Oh. oh, only one person was killed. 128 firefighters were injured fighting it, but it was full of people ready to go at the time. And somehow everybody got off except one guy. How did it catch on fire? I'm going to tell you. Oh, so the Navy wanted that not to happen again, right? The, there were already rumors of Nazi submarines in the East River and the Hudson River surrounding New York City. Some were true, some weren't. Uh, there was a ring of alleged German spies that was rounded up and convicted of espionage in New York City. A lot of hysteria, uncertainty in the early months of World War II. We all know how World War II turned out now, but in February of 1942, nobody knew what was going to happen. It was a crazy time. Right. It really was. Worldwide, not just here in this country. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and did I mention that the Navy didn't have to look very hard to find Luciano? Why is that? Because he'd been in prison since 1936. I forgot to tell you that part. Well, not too lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He'd been sentenced to 30 years in prison for running a prostitution ring. That'll get you. Now, in Luciano's absence, Frank Costello, he was that last name that I mentioned of those six. He ends up running the story while Lucky is in the slammer. Okay, so he, he's running it for him? Correct. He was his, okay. Yeah, he's gotcha. his right-hand guy. Gotcha. But the Navy knows Luciano is still pulling the strings, and that's why they want yeah. to talk to him. Yeah. Oh, and while we're uh, finishing up parts of the story, Al Capone, mm-hmm. he's out of the picture. We've already told you he's in Alcatraz. Yeah. Will be until 1939. He'd already been released when World War II started, but when he was released from prison, he moved to Miami Beach, South Beach, lived out the rest of his life very lavishly in a big, uh, nice house. Um, there is a movie that stars Tom. I'm going to forget the actor's name. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter. I should have done my homework a little bit better. See, this is what I didn't have time to get properly. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, T crossed and I dotted. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a relatively new movie about Al Capone's life after he gets out of prison and moves back to Florida. Well, he saved a little money not having to furnish his cell in Alcatraz. This is true. So he was (laughs) able to live nice when he got back to South Beach. But now, uh, Al had had syphilis 
for decades. And this was before penicillin. That's a, that's no good. Ke- Kelly, that's not good, right? No, it, it's, that it, in that neurologically, will, yes. he was just, he was beginning to deteriorate. Yes. By the, by the time will, he died, doctors said he had the mind of a 12 year old boy. It will affect your brain. Yeah. Yes. It will deteriorate. Yes. Yeah. So that's what happened to, uh, to Al Capone. So he's off the, he's out of the story now. Syphilis. Mm. Yeah. Syphilis. Got him. There was another way that supposedly, if you believe all the stories, that the mafia helped the Allies win World War II. In 1943, when the Allies invaded Sicily, there, was a, there wasn't a lot of knowledge about the, the, the terrain, exactly where the German establishments or, or, or uh, emplacements were in Sicily. Mm-hmm. And so, allegedly, the mob was contacted again by the government and said, hey, look, when, when our guys land, we need you to show them around, tell them what road goes where. And, and supposedly that happens. Now there's one historian of mafia uh, of the mafia who says that's a made up story that never happened. It was something that was put into the newspapers by Meyer Lansky and Frank Costello to make lucky Luciano seem more sympathetic to the American public. Hey, he's behind bars, but he's still patriotic. He's helping us. We should get him out of prison That's because brilliant. there's an ongoing effort to get lucky out of prison. That's brilliant. If, if that's not true and that, and yeah. they planted that, and that's, mm-hmm. there you go. Oh, and it was the mafia. You asked earlier about what happened to the SS Normandy. Mm-hmm. It was the mafia that burned down the SS Normandy because they knew that the government would come to them to keep oh. it from happening again. And they could say, hey, Lucky would be glad to help you, but we need you to some consideration from, for him down the road, maybe with a pardon. So they didn't know they burned it down at the time. So they were not patriots. <laughs> not as patriotic as they yeah. tried to play themselves off as. Yeah. yeah. So we don't know if they really helped out in Sicily or not. Oh, and there's one if other. They, if they burn down that ship, I'm I'm going to say probably not. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. And you guys notice, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Benjamin Siegel before Bugsy mm-hmm. Siegel. There's a movie yes. about him, stars Warren Beatty and yeah. Annette Benning from back in the 80s or 90s that yeah. I need to see again. There's a ton of, of uh, mafia movies. Yeah, basically. this this mm-hmm. subject matter to has been done up. to death. Yes, if yes. you don't know that, um, Bugsy he got the he got that nickname. Because he's, he was as crazy as a bed bug. Bugsy. <laughs> Bugs Bunny. That's how Bugs Bunny got his name. He's supposed to be wacky and crazy. That's how Bugsy Siegel got his nickname. Okay. He always hated that nickname. Well, yeah. But he loved money. He was, he was down for a $20 bill. Okay. Or 100 if you had one. In fact, Siegel loved money so much that that's what got him killed in June of 1947. He was assassinated in Los Angeles, shot with a rifle through the window of his living room while he sat reading the newspaper. Actually, Siegel was staying at the rented mansion of his girlfriend, Virginia Hill, who, wait for it, was a native of Alabama. Oh. (laughs) Call her Jenny. That's our Alabama connection in this episode. Bugsy had been a visionary when he moved out to Vegas. He wanted to build a a European-style luxury casino. That was the Flamingo that we have mentioned. Mm -hmm. And he eventually got it built, but his $1 million project had climbed to $6 million by the time he got it open. And all of that money was being borrowed from the mafia 
and he wasn't paying it back. Ooh. Now, he had to know that was not a good idea. Did he think he was smarter than them? I think he thought they were going to give him more time to start making money and then pay it back. Oh, okay. So he's thinking he has more time. I think so. Okay. But, you know, there's another allegation that he was stealing. Mm-hmm. that that's why the, the construction costs skyrocketed so much that he was skimming money off the top. Yeah. Regardless of whether that's true or not, within 20 minutes of Siegel being shot in Los Angeles, Meyer Lansky's men were in the Flamingo taking over the counting room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no question who yeah. did that then, right? Yeah. So I mentioned that Luciano is looking to get pardoned. Mm-hmm. He's got this deal working with the Manhattan district attorney to get pardoned in exchange for helping out the Naval intelligence with the sabotage prevention on the, in the ports of New York that he caused that he caused perhaps. <laughs> but it wasn't until after the war was completed the war ended in uh, the the war in Europe ended in May of 1945. The war in the Pacific ended in August of 1945. So it's in February. I'm sorry, January of 1946. Luciano gets his pardon with one condition: he's he can't stay in America. They're going to deport him to Italy if he will agree to be. If he wants his pardon, he's got to leave. Mm-hmm. And does he agree? He does. Okay. He does, and he. He, he went to Italy, but after a few months in Italy, he can start of sort of feel the reins slipping out of his hands. And so he's got to get back closer. He still doesn't want to come back to America because he doesn't want to go back to prison. He's just spent a decade in prison. Mm-hmm. So he comes to Havana, Cuba mm-hmm. from only 90 miles away. He thinks maybe I can run everything from here. Remote work <laughs> back then. Yeah. So during the Christmas holiday of 1946, Luciano called a meeting of all the big mafia bosses in Havana. And while a young Frank Sinatra sang in the showroom, Luciano wanted to change the way the mafia did business. He wanted to go back from from the commission since he can't really attend any of the commission meetings anymore. Now he thinks, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to go back to the Godfather model again, and I volunteer. And I'll do it from Havana. I'll do it from Havana, just for you guys. Yeah, I'm so giving. (laughs) So that is the big meeting in Havana, Christmas 1946. We're going to get our Godfather back again. They agree to this? Well, I'll tell you next week, because that is the end of episode one. We will wrap that part of the story up when we reconvene here in 167 hours from now. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, Scott, I learned so much already. Can't wait till next week to hear what's going to happen. Yay, I'm excited. I know. That you're excited. Yeah. All right, guys. Make sure to visit us at truecrimeoneasystreet.com, where you can order a t-shirt, read a short bio about the three of us or click a link that will take you directly to our podcast archive on Spotify. That's right. Give us a five-star review. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to leave your full name so we can give you a shout-out on a future episode of the show. Right. And uh, enjoy football season. Yay, it's finally here. I know. Is that it, guys? Are we done? We are done. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.